Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Yes, thanks for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. And with us this week, former Wallaby winger Cameron Shepherd. Shep, welcome to you. Thanks, Nick. Great to be here. Good to have you on board. And uh, from foxsports.com.au, Christy Doran. Welcome to you, Christy. Yeah, thanks for the reminder. It's good to know where I'm working. That's right. Well, <laughs> sometimes I forget. Um, and uh, joining us shortly... The great Joe Roth will be on the phone, so I'm looking forward to having a chat with Roffy. Gee, there's so much to talk about this week out of the back of a quite incredible uh, Saturday evening of Test Rugby, and we'll obviously get to the Wallabies and, and Argentina with uh, Argentina getting their first win on Australian soil for 35 years. But just quickly, the curtain raiser to that match. The curtain raiser. The curtain raiser. Love calling it that. Uh, the All Blacks and the Springboks, it was one hell of a test match and an unbelievable result. Quite outstanding, wasn't it? We uh, we obviously had a little bit of a chat before this about uh, the ins and outs, but I think there was a few turning points, but probably the major one was that quick throw from Geordie Barrett that just seemed to completely change the whole energy of the game in the favour of the South Africans. Willie LaRue swoops on it, they score. I think that was back-to-back tries. They'd scored twice in the space of a few minutes and uh, and then the momentum just seemed to roll on. But uh, great to see the box wasn't get that it? elusive victory over in New Zealand. And, and Shep, you've, you've jumped in. That was my turning yeah. point. Uh, yeah. Thanks for... <laughs> <laughs> Got it written down here. Steal Christie's point. <laughs> uh, but you're right. It was it was a remarkable match and I don't think... Uh, watching the last 20 minutes, particularly when LaRue got sent to the sin bin, which was fair enough. It was cynical. He slowed the play down and the All Blacks didn't score for a number of minutes after that. That's And they were hot in the attack and, and possibly could have scored. And it was, what, five minutes later, Artie Surveyor crashes over. So uh, LaRue's done his job there. Um, but but oh, back back to the, the earlier point, um, Geordie Barrett at, at 15, you would have watched a bit of him play. What do you think? Is he the All Blacks 15 for the next year or so? Or Ben Smith? Ben Smith seems to me like the best fullback in the world at, at the moment. Look, I, I prefer Ben Smith there. I think uh, that that mistake aside, and it definitely was a mistake to go for that quick throw, I, I think he generally is um, pretty reliable back there. But Ben Smith is just so consistent. Uh, he kicks the ball, I think, tactically better yeah. uh, than Geordie Barrett. Uh, I, I think the concern having Geordie Barrett back there. Well, not the concern. The positive about him is his height and his size. Mm, he's uh, a big and, and you can't really test him with a high ball. He's too strong. And defensively, he's very, very good. It's it's a tough... Look, what a great decision to have yeah. to make with those two players. I think if it was me, though, I, I'd prefer to have Ben Smith back there. And I don't see why you can't play Geordie Barrett on the wing. Yeah, very true. The return bout is going to be amazing in a couple of weeks because, you know, the All Blacks, they don't like being beaten at home. First time they'd been beaten at home by... You know, one country. Of course, they lost to the Lions, but um, first time that they'd been beaten at home in a test match by a, a solitary country is um, was that 2009? I think. Yeah, I think South the Springboks, Africa in yeah. 2009. So something like was it 54 test matches? Mm. Or was it something yeah, It's more than 50 yeah. for yeah. sure. So how significant is it for world rugby? Well, well, I'd, I, I, I don't, I don't think you can, you know, sort of detect a trend or, or anything like that from one game. I, I like the fact that you know teams can be competitive against the All Blacks. Um, you know, we beat them in Brisbane last year, albeit they were missing a couple of their stars. But it, it's nice to think that on their day, you know, any team 
can beat them. That's mm. that's uh, it's good for the game. They had shown cracks, though. So let's be honest. The Wallabies for two tests at half time were right in the contest. Um, the Argies for seventy minutes were in the contest against the All Blacks. I don't know. Clearly, the All Blacks are a wonderful side, but are they as good as the team three four years ago with that stack of legends? Oh, yeah, I think they are. I think, though, sometimes we put them up on a pedestal a little bit too high. I know that those all-back players, no matter whether they're playing at home or away, and this is from a pretty reliable source, you know, highly respect the Springboks and the Wallabies Mm. still to this day. Yeah, they probably think tactically and in a few areas of the game they're better than us and that they they could probably get up on us. But I don't think they ever run out on that field expecting to win a game against the Wallabies or the Springboks. Mm. There yeah. you go. So, uh, yeah, as I said, uh, looking forward to that return bout uh, in a few weeks' time. So uh, they, they will be stinging and, and uh, at home in South Africa, the Springboks are, are hard to beat as well. Yeah, yeah, they are. And it was oh, Rassi Erasmus. Oh, is it a coaching masterstroke by saying that his coach, his position six months into it was, yeah. was on the line? I, I love I love a tweet from Rassi. Uh, I think it was his own tweet. I don't think it was a parody account or anything like that there was a a uh, an article in New Zealand saying quoting Steve Hansen saying you know we had a number of chances to win this game and Rassi just retweeted and said but you didn't. <laughs> it's got, surely it's got to be a parody. Yeah. I, I don't know, but I thought, wow, if, if that was actually him, that's uh, that's bold. Very, very bold. Well, there's some great energy. And as we said before, with the return like going to South Africa, you know that the box fans are going to come out in their droves. It's just going to be an absolute packed stadium, big energy, you know, and a tough place to go and win, just like going to New Zealand. So, you know, I don't think you would be surprised if you see South Africa maybe knock them off twice this year. The, the remarkable the thing is that this occurred a week after the Wallabies beat the Springboks. Mm. Uh, it's easy to lose sight of that. Mm. Um, they're, they're clearly the Springboks. So are. does that make us theoretically a better side than the All Blacks? <laughs> yes, that, it does. Is that exactly. It? That's where Christian is <laughs> going with that. Yeah. In September at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a thought. Um, all right, so so that that happened, and then we're sitting there and thinking, you know, Wow, what what's going to happen here on the Gold Coast? And uh, and it was another remarkable result, but certainly not in our favour. And you know, there's so much to come out of that Test match now. Questions about uh, you know the the coaching staff, um, whether changes have to be made, and of course those questions are going to be asked again. We had the the postscript to that match with uh, with the spectator abusing players and and Luke Antui, uh getting upset about that quite rightly, given what we now know he'd been through last week. And, and then within the game, the way the Wallabies played, um, issues with the set piece, issues with handling errors, um, Izzy not making that pass on the wing there. It's just, there's so much that went on in and around that test match. Where do you want to start? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think probably start with the Gold Coast. Seriously, what are the Wallabies doing there playing a match a week after a game, every, a lot of teams, a lot of players go to the Gold Coast. No one leaves the Gold Coast better off. Let's just start wow. there. Seriously, like you look at Gary Ablett and the AFL, you look at the rugby league teams, they've right. all been punted. Carmichael Hunt certainly didn't Jared, get enough better Jared, off, did he? Jared Hayne, it doesn't last long. Um, we, we saw a few years ago with Argentina on the Gold Coast, it wasn't a great crowd. Once again, a poor crowd. Um, it, it comes a week after the the Wallabies played in Brisbane, so just down the road. If, I think if, if the if Australian rugby wants to be serious about spreading the game, well, there wasn't a Wallabies test this year in Perth. 
um, and, and there hasn't been one in Adelaide for a long time. I'm not saying that we, do, we should be taking one to Adelaide necessarily, but there's already been a, 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 a Wallabies test against Ireland in June. So we're having three test matches in, in, a, in, in a small uh, area, just, uh, what, 100 k's down the road. Was it some compensation? I, I heard a, a story that it was some compensation for um, Queensland losing the sevens and maybe it was a, a deal done with the Queensland. tens. The, 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 uh, sorry, no, no, I know with, with the sevens a with couple the, of years yeah, ago. You yeah, know? yeah. But, Is there anything in that that's... Possibly, but I don't think the yeah possibly. But look, it's the it's the wrong reason. Mm. I think mm. particularly a week after well, Suncorp only had thirty had less than thirty thousand. Mm. It was less uh, less smallest than crowd I've ever seen there for a test mm. match. So yeah, I think there's going to be a little bit more thought there. But but on the game <coughs> itself, yeah, you could start anyway. But um, clearly, the biggest moment of the game was with Israel Folau not passing the ball. But they didn't clearly they lost the game because of that, and it would have covered up and uh, amassed a lot of the, f- the flaws of the Wallabies' mm. uh, performance. Had, had sneaked a win with that try, you mean, yeah, if they had yeah. managed to. Yeah. But they didn't lose the game, really, because of that. It was lost uh, in, the, in, the, in the 10 minutes leading up to half-time when you can't secure three line-out throws. Mm. Uh, one not straight, one was picked off the front um, from 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 the RG's locks, and then another one with with David Pocock and uh, fumbling the ball after a sloppy pass back from from Luke Antui. So mm. I think that that's a key moment. And also after that, you got Del Guy who scores a cracking try to to put Argentina back in front. So look, I. I agree with you. A couple of things that have been thrown about during the week was uh, we're not physical enough. There wasn't enough energy. Like they, I, I, I can't stand hearing those sorts of things. It's got to be more. Yeah, it's got to be more specific than that. I watched it quite emotional on Saturday night. I spent the whole game texting people, talking to my family while the game was going on, and and finished the game. I'm sure pretty upset, like a lot of other people. Then rewatched it Monday in the afternoon. It was incredible quietly by yourself watching the game secondly in reflection and just picking up on little moments there was about three or four times when David Pocock down that stretch last 20 minutes if you watch tries to get the group together he starts making comments you can't really make out what he's trying to say but he's trying to refocus the group if you watch the people around him and how little engagement he gets from the group I found that a very very telling sign Mm. Nick for me as well skill execution unbelievably poor for a team that prides themselves by that. Just before you get to that, I just want to yeah. pick up on that on the intensity piece um, and, and lack of lack of energy. Um, now, Cave said that a couple of times uh, in the second half. Yeah, they've got to pick it up. That they've got to pick up the intensity. Now, you you know you've you've worn that jersey, so you know how special it is to play for your country. I find it difficult to understand how a team cannot be, how you can enthusiastic. be how, how you Well, how you can be anything but enthusiastic well, and that's when, what, you, when you're wearing that jersey. And I didn't clarify that well enough. But that's what I, I don't think that energy is a thing. I think it's a focus. I think it, it, it's a focus and now it's a fear of losing. Because when you could saw Poey trying to bring everyone together, people seemed distant. They were thinking about other things. They were worrying about things on the game. There's no focus on actually getting their stuff together, focusing on what they need to do. Everyone worrying about their own job instead of everyone else's. And that, I think, is what comes into making these small little errors. Because you're distracted and you, you, you're worried about things, you make those little mistakes because you're not focused on the process. It's, and I think that's where those two 
correlate. It's it's a really interesting point you make, um, and I, I just want to relate something that because um, obviously after a game, you know, we'll drive back to wherever we're staying, and and you know, we're all sitting in the car, and you and you kick it around and you chew it over. And Drew Mitchell was saying it to, in his mind, it's a bit like a kid who gets roused on all the time and, and you know, the parents are a, a bit abusive and they're, they're always into the kid. The kid ultimately is going to be that kid who sits in the corner, doesn't really want to say too much, scared of making a mistake. And are the Wallabies now a bit like that kid? They're so um, battered and bruised emotionally from whether it be um, within and also without the criticism that they've received, that they're playing with all that tension mm. and with all that fear of making a mistake and, and are, are playing within themselves and, and not actually rolling the dice on anything. Is, is, that, is that a fair analogy that Drew I, makes? I think that's a fantastic analogy. And at the same time, by suppressing well, that, Andrew. Doesn't, give, doesn't give your players the opportunity to challenge each other and criticise each other without them taking it personally. Because now everyone seems like they're taking everything so personally in that sort of situation as well, where I, you know, I, I remember back in a time when I first came into the squad and obviously didn't get to play anywhere near the amount of tests as other people. But if you made a mistake around the likes of George Gregg and Stephen Larkham, Jeremy Paul, these guys would let you know that you'd made a mistake and that that wasn't acceptable. And I, I'm not saying that in the current team people aren't being made accountable, but it doesn't, the perception isn't that people are really getting roused on for making those mistakes. And you shouldn't take that personally. That's just the team trying to set a standard and hold to it. And I think that adds to your point mm. that these guys are also now in a defensive mindset and, and backing off and so afraid to make a mistake, so afraid to be the person that maybe is, is the reason for a loss mm. or, or whatever. And uh, it's all rolling into a big emotional drama. And as we know, emotion and stress are the two biggest causes of, you know, poor performance. So this, that, that comes off the back of a, a victory, though. Like only Australia's second from seven tests this uh, from six tests leading into it. Um, but so, so, so even after a win, a side can be as anxious as what they, they might have been? I think so, because they thought they got out of jail. Like, I was sitting there thinking we, we could lose this test match. And, you know, nine times out of ten, South Africa maybe goes on and scores at the end of that game and we lose the game. So, yeah, I think they that wouldn't have given them much relief at all winning against the box the week before. Mm. Sure. It seemed like it gave Stephen Huckham a bit of a relief because there was a few jokes mm. throughout well, the, the week leading into it. Maybe relief for different reasons. Maybe relief that some people have retained their jobs. Maybe some relief some people weren't going to be splashed through the newspaper as a reason for the loss. But I think as far as a side regenerating energy and confidence in what they were doing, I'd be surprised if they would have gained much out of that. And I I wonder what difference Michael Hooper would have made out there, losing your your leader. Like It it wasn't spoken that much in the commentary. I think a lot of people thought David Pocock has captained the Wallabies before he is... Uh, a gentleman who is very well respected oh, globally, expected, yeah, um, and that he's returning to the position that he that he wants to play in the number seven jersey. So I think there was an element of expectation that Poe, the saviour, well, everything is back, happy as Larry. Maybe this was the people's choice side with Folau on the right wing, Hayley Petty, guys playing in their preferred positions that that things were going to work out. But I don't – and going back to what you, how you started it, with Poey and not people not necessarily listening to him or a calmness, um, a sense of purpose and direction, mm. were, were, were Australian like, missing that, that captaincy and leadership from, from Hoops? Personally, I, I don't think it probably would have changed things too much. Um, I think that 
within the group, there's a huge amount of respect for David Pocock. So I'm not um, implying that those guys were not listening to him. I just don't think they were distracted by something else when they really should have been focusing in on what he was actually trying to say to, to bring the group together. Look, I think David Pocock was fantastic again on the weekend and sometimes I wish we had 15 of him out on the field. So no, I, I don't think it would have made too much of a difference personally with Hooper out there. I don't know, Nick. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think um, the, the issues were, you know, he, he wouldn't have made a difference probably with the handling errors. He, he probably wouldn't have made a huge difference with the set piece. You know, maybe he could have influenced the attitude a, a little bit, but I, I don't think that he would have made uh, enough of a difference to, to change the result. Mm. Um, let's, uh, let's not leave Roffy on the sidelines here. Let's uh, bring Joe Roff in to uh, get his impressions on that test match on the Gold Coast on Saturday night. Joe Roff, welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Terrific to have you on board. Now, we always love catching up with uh, former Wallabies, although once a Wallaby, always a Wallaby, but uh, former Wallabies for, for our purposes here. Um, what are you up to at the moment? I'm, uh, afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, I'm still based here in Canberra. Um, uh, just got through a very cold winter coaching my son in uh, the under-10 soccer, actually, to a famous 10-1 loss on the weekend. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just a reminder that coaching is not for me on, on cold and bitter Canberra mornings but, during the winter at this stage. But, but did your working... son score the goal, Rafi? That's the important thing. <laughs> he did. So <laughs> <laughs> I gave him MVP for the season. That's what you're and there's five, be- five bucks. <laughs> Stick it in your pocket. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. So, so a fledgling uh, soccer coaching career. Wow, you, you could be anything. <laughs> well, it's a reminder. I, I played soccer until I was 15 before I made the switch to rugby. So, and the, the boys are enjoying it. So, uh, yeah, it, that, that was my uh, weekend just passed. Do you think? Do you think they're going to make the switch and follow in their father's footsteps? Uh, good question. I'm not sure. Um, it's uh, yeah. I mean, at the moment, it's they're engaged with all sports, but uh, yeah, you know, as we know, it's it can be a bit challenging getting them get the young kids fully engaged with with you know rugby, and we know how great the game is, but um, you know they're. they're uh, they've had so much, they've had a glut of other sport this year and, you know, with Soccer World Cups and uh, other final series uh, underway. So uh, I, I, I hope they just enjoy what they're doing. That's all. Good stuff, yeah. It's, uh, there's so much for kids nowadays to choose from. Now, you were in Brisbane a couple of weeks ago to see uh, mm. the Wallabies uh, beat the Springboks and, and then a, a week later it's all turned to poo again on, on the Gold Coast. Um, what did you make of the Wallabies' performance against Argentina? Yeah, look, I, sh- I thought the South African game, whilst, whilst it, you know, it, it lacked a little bit of execution at times, showed a great amount of character and... and um, you know, certainly in that last five or ten minutes, it, it showed the, the heart of the, the Wallabies and, and and what it can be in that defensive effort. And, um, and then on the weekend, I mean, it was it was one of those just games of pure frustration. Um, I have been involved in in, team, in similar Wallabies teams that have, have been through matches like that. And, you know, I've I've lost to Argentina in, in one of those hard fought, scrappy matches myself. But you know, I, I know how how gutted the team will be, you know, with with that performance and just with not getting a result that that uh, that everyone expected. Well, what do you, what did you put it down to? Was it is it just 
like your experiences back back then, maybe even like how how did you react coming from it? Um, yeah, look, I remember it vividly. It was a, a match we were expected to win, but but Argentina are a very hard team to play against. They they play that uh, a, a very scrappy physical game, and, and it can put you off. And, and when you when you go into a match, and I, I think the the team probably went into the match coming off a, a win against South Africa, expecting to be able to do things and expecting things to open up and expecting to be able to finish, you know, everything that they start. And that just that just doesn't happen uh, against Argentina, and and the frustration. Um, I, I think yeah. we could all see started to come in, and frustration leads to poor execution, and and um, and you know we we saw a bit of that on the weekend, and and uh, I have no doubt that that Czech and and Bernie and Grazie in the team coaching team will have been as frustrated as the players. Yeah, uh, look, I can cr- completely agree, Rafi. I know we, we played against Argentina, and. Uh, they are very physical. But during the week, I, I would have thought that there would have been a lot of conversation around, you know, you're going to cop an elbow on the bottom of the ruck, don't buy into it. You know, let's try and, and not buy into that game. I, I thought tactically our kicking could have been a lot better. Um, you know, there's one moment as well with, with Israel Folau when whether it was knowledge of the rules or something else, um, you know, that kick just goes flying off over the sideline and put a lot of pressure of us, on us. And I felt like instead of us forcing them into mistakes... They seem to be the one constantly forcing us into mistakes. Did you think that was the case? Yeah, look, I think you're right, Shep. And, and look, I don't want to be the, that that player um, that remembers, you know, how it was back then. But I, I, to be honest, I find it difficult to understand the purpose of some of um, the kicking strategies that that you know a lot of teams undertake. You know, the Wallabies aren't the only ones who undertake it, but. You know, we, we, it was always only ever a uh, realistically a means to get out of your own quarter or your own, you know, your own defensive area. Um, the kicking was used, and, and now it's used in, in a range of different ways. And I don't always think it's the best way to do it. And, and particularly where, um, you know, where Argentina um, were applying the pressure to create some of those kicks rather than it being, uh, you know, for the attacking purposes mm. that, that the Wallabies or or Bernie's sort of attacking strategy yeah. uh, are meant to, to result in. I, look, I think that's a really good point just before I, uh, I want to move on to the man- mentality. But I remember back in the days as well, early 90s, when if we didn't have an angle, Campo used to just punt this thing you know, 60, 65 metres down the sideline. It'd go deep into their territory. We'd get a great chase because we knew what was happening and we'd force them to have to play out of that sort of position. I'm not sure why uh, a kicking game like that isn't uh, engaged a little bit more. Uh, Another memory is the Crusaders, especially over in South Africa, Dan Carter used to just reef it into space, get as much distance as he could and then force them to have to make the decision in a tough kicking position. So I, I agree with you, Rafi. I don't know why it always seems to go back to the box kick or just getting a clearance that goes up to the 40-metre line and you, you're straight back into defence. But I think the other thing we were sort of talking about before but is just the mentality of winning and losing teams. And you were in a team where we watched you play and it, it always looked like you'd come away with a win. I guess most people would say that about uh, the All Blacks at the moment. And I, I guess my question is maybe more to the group is... How do you change that losing mentality into a winning mentality and go from being what what looks like a team that's almost on the verge of losing every time into a team that never looks like they're going to not lose? Do you, know, do you know what I'm trying to say? Was that- yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. And, and look, if I can just make the link to the psychology of the players to the example we were just using, um, 
you know, back back, you know, in that time you were talking about, it was a very simple equation. Um, but the link was that um, we would kick deep, and knowing that the opposition would kick out of their defensive area to create a line out because we had trust in our line out. Now it raises a question um, in the psychology of the team: is their trust in our line out to to win that ball every time, such that that becomes a viable option? Because it does seem like a simple equation, but but everything's linked so closely that. The line out is therefore linked to your kicking game. Um, uh, it becomes a uh, an overall picture of of where the psychology of the team is, and there's such fine lines that yes, you're right. I mean, we went through um, you know a period of, um, and I, I keep harping on the fact that we we need to stay optimistic because the dam will break. But the we lost um, you know in the first three years of my time playing with the Wallabies, I never had a win against the All Blacks. Um, and then we went, we the dam broke, and the psychology of winning um, kicked in. And it is, it's a very, uh, it's a momentum. It's definitely a mm. momentum. Uh, and that's the, just the momentum that the team doesn't have yet. I, I don't think there's a lack of skill or commitment or passion or, you know, all of those elements, but it's the, the momentum of winning that needs to be created. And you know, we're, we're talking about a World Cup that's just around the corner. It really needs to be created very soon. With that experience and, and, and thinking back, you know, you, you have those first up losses over those first few years of your career against the All Blacks. Can you put your finger on something that changed uh, in that time that, that you remember some sort of uh, switch was was flicked? I mean, what, what could work uh, now that maybe worked then? Is there anything that you can think of? Um, yeah, look, you know, there was a, you know, there was a period at the end of 96 and um, moving into 97 with... Uh, where Rod McQueen took the reins and and made a very a couple of very um, hard calls. He you know he sent players home from Argentina after that loss. Uh, he uh, was about to dump Eelsey as the captain and um, and you know the, the, there were some real um, hard decisions on the chopping block decisions that were were being made to 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 actually you know make a paradigm shift in terms of the thinking of the team culturally and in terms of performance and and look it worked so um, whether there needs to be um, on that level uh, you know to really um, to, to really shake it up is is a, is a really good question but at the same time I say that and always have always believed that Australia and the wallabies do best when they have a settled team and and incremental changes around the edges, um, I, I think, are more harmful to the team than they are helpful. You know, mm. you know, players fighting for spots each week doesn't allow combinations to to establish. And you know, I look at the, the outside backs of the Wallabies at the moment; they've got enormous talent and speed and physicality and and all of those elements. Shep, you and I'd hate to play against these guys <laughs> these days one on one. Agree. But but what about the, the, the combinations that are being um, uh, changed and tried and, and it doesn't allow patterns to, to form where, you know, that's why Greg and Larkin work, that's why Hoare and Little work, that's why, um, you know, the, the Wallabies had, that, had success in, in during those periods. So, so what would you do at the moment, Joe? Uh, it, obviously, it's a it's a big question and something that Michael Check is going to be pondering over 
in between this week and, and next week when the Wallabies play over in South Africa in Port Elizabeth. And clearly you've got, you know, coaching pedigree now after, uh, <laughs> yeah. after the soccer season. <laughs> <too, so. laughs> you might get the call up. <laughs> would, would you return to uh, Kalila Kirtley's been playing at, at 10 and, and Matt Tamur? Um, has been given a, a brief run at 12 uh, with Bernard um, returning to the bench. What, what would you do there? Um, oh, look, it's a, that's a thousand-dollar question. I, I'd have Matt Timmer in there. I think he's played. Uh, he's world-class and he's played, um, um, you know, exceptionally well over the last couple of weeks. But, um, you know, coming off his time with Leicester and his time even before that, uh, I think he's a world-class player and, um, you have to have him there, and but my question beyond that is um, there needs to be a decision made as to who your nine ten combination is and who your all all of your your key combinations are, and then the the coaching team needs to stick with it. And I, I think we're, we're twelve months out from a from a World Cup, uh, and that's I think the big decision that the Czech and and Bernie and the, the selectors have to make right now. You know, I. I <laughs> I find that an impossible decision at the moment. I think um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Bernard Foley. Um, Curly Beal's got an enormous amount of talent, so mm. uh, and it's I, a really tough one. Yeah, and Rafi, I wonder what uh, effect that has on the team when you roll into a team meeting, and let's just hypothetically say next game the Wallabies play, they roll in, and at 10 this week, Matt Tamu is now playing. Well, does the team start scratching their head saying, well, it was Foley at the start, now it was Curtly, now you're going to go with Tamua. Who else has moved around? I just wonder, although Czech plays a very straight bat on with such a cohesive unit, there's got to be conversations and thoughts going on around the team about, hold on, what's going on here? There's a lot of changes happening. Does this guy know what he's doing? Should I read what's going on in the press? I just wonder how much conversation is going on amongst the group with all these changes. Exactly, and each of those elements um, can... Um, instill a little bit of self-doubt in, in a player. And what it also instills is self-preservation. So what happens is if, if a player um, is, is going out on the field, they're thinking about their own spot within the team rather than the collective goal of the team to win the match. Um, and if, if, you know, there were examples of that in which, um, you know, players are, are looking at it and not making a pass or, or doing something that, um, you know, is about, Staying within the team, then then it um, the cracks start to form in terms of the overall team pattern. I mean, I've been through periods where where that happened. I remember Greg Smith used to announce the team on Tuesday afternoon um, before training, and I remember he turned to me at one stage and said, "Oh, Joe Roth, he'll be a great player for Australia, but not this week." In front of the team, and that's how he, that's, <laughs> that, that's how he, he used to drop players in front of everyone. So everyone yeah. was just on edge. Yeah, everyone yeah. was just on edge trying to trying to keep their spot within the team. Sounds a bit like um, a few of our meetings with Eddie Roffey over the years. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so, so given, uh, I mean, check. Czech has been reasonably inconsistent in his well, – not inconsistent in selection, but chopped and changed a lot. I remember, was it last year or the year before, you you had a different locking combination every week. It was – there was a lot of change. And, and as you say, we're a year out. I think it's this Thursday, isn't it? A year yep. out from the World Cup. You'd mm. want to be seemingly getting a, a, a settled side – Every week, does it add weight to uh, that discussion about an independent selector? Can you can you see uh, a role for for that 
person in there, Rafi? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can see a role for that person. And, you know, Stevie Larkham's from Canberra, so we debate this <laughs> here in the village uh, quite a bit. But, uh, um, you know, I, I believe that an independent selector can ha- can take a, um, a, I guess, a view from the balcony and, and to look at the importance of a settled team for the 12 months leading into the World Cup. I mean, you look at the statistics of the teams that have won the World Cup and almost to to a, a very team over the course history of the World Cup. It has been a team that's been settled leading leading into the last 12 months. So, um, you know, they're the sort of factors that are hard to see when you're on the ground and, and you're making a decision about a selection because a guy might look a bit off on a Tuesday or uh, or doesn't train well on a Thursday. Um, and, and you, you're right in the, you know, right on the dance floor and you can't step back. And I, so I do think there's a role for, for, um, an independent selected, mm. absolutely. Well, you know, I love thinking about you on the dance floor, Rafi, when the running man comes out. But, <laughs> mate, you mentioned you had that conversation with Bernie. Can you share his thoughts on it? Um, oh, Bernie's very, he, he leans, I think, towards, look, you, you have to maintain the, um, competitive, nature of the squad uh in this day and age and uh and look i'm too far removed too too far removed from it to um you know to argue the point um you know with any direct knowledge um so it, it is interesting in terms of uh you know bernie i think is very much um comes from the team of loyalty and takes that to um the management discussions that you know he he um always provides and delivers the, the the solid view that that check and graze in the coaching team um you know he he, he buys into to uh the process of selection and the, the way that they um undertake selection within the team and i admire him for that because it builds the culture of the team hey um what was your reaction um with with luke antui involved well and say luke antui it wasn't it wasn't luke's fault in any way shape or form it was it was the the clown uh who was um, making his presence felt in that players area after the game on Saturday night. Um, it was not a good look. What, what was your take on that? Yeah, look, it was not a good look and it was unfortunate. Um, it's one of the things that uh, that binds rugby together is that, you know, at the end of the game, you know, supporters from both sides can stand around and have a beer uh, and it is about the enjoyment of the game and it's, it's one of the things that distinguishes our game from you know, football hooliganism and other other forms of um, you know rugby um, that you know in, in which it's it's quite different in that sense, and and so that's why I think more so it's it's an, an exaggerated um, disquiet that something like that happened um, because that's not part of our game, and you know I, I think it, it's been handled very well and very sensibly. I think the um, the the man in question has has been remorseful and and. Um, Luca has, you know, explained where his position was and, and I think, and it's just been put to bed. So it hasn't been blown out of proportion. Um, but we certainly don't like to see that, you know, this is what I, I, you know, when you, when I talk to people who, um, are supporters of rugby league and Aussie rules, I say to them, look, you've never been to Twickenham for a game where you, you know, you have the game day experience of a, of a Twickenham or a Lansdowne Road or you've never been in the car park at Durban or, 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 you know, been 
and played and, and been involved with a blackout um, playing in Auckland in New Zealand. Like these are these are actually sporting experiences that, that um, have a goodness to them and a, and a celebration of rugby. And and so that was why I think you know the the post match thing just marred a little bit about um, why rugby remains you know the greatest greatest sport. Yeah, and it is something to celebrate. Like, whilst it has been a bit of a sense of doom and gloom within the country of Australia uh, dropping to, to seventh in the world, a, a historic low, it, it does show how strong the game, the international game, in fact, is. Argentina ranked ninth at the moment as well. Like, uh, it's quite extraordinary that how competitive international rugby is at the moment. Perhaps at its at its most ever. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, everyone's chasing the All Blacks, but um, the next World Cup, there there are you know any any number of the top ten teams um, can really put it to the All Blacks and can beat everyone else on their given day. You combine that with what I believe you know, having played there, Japan will put on in terms of a World Cup experience, and um, it's going to be you know a complete showcase of everything that, that is good about rugby and. We also know that, you know, the Wallabies play their best World Cup campaigns and their best rugby at the World Cup and when it's away from home. Um, so I, th- I think there's a lot to be optimistic about, um, in, tw- in 12 months time. Um, you know, we just wrote our, our sport goes in cycles and, uh, I think we've just been troughing for a little bit too long. Before we let you go, uh, Joe, the, you, you've, you've touched upon the, the World, well, we've touched upon the World Cup just there. Uh, there, there are going to be questions as, as to whether or not Michael Checker is, is still going to be there. You, you spoke earlier about the impact that Rod McQueen came and had when he came in. Do you see uh, a, a benefit to sticking with Michael Checker or, and, and the Wallabies coaching staff at the moment? Yes, I do. I think there's, there's, you know, the continuity. He, he has a lot of, um, you know, previous success. He's got a lot of experience. He, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, check, I, I think succession planning for the coach should all, should be done, particularly at the Wallaby level in a better way than it has been done in terms of, um, you know, uh, knife in, in the back in, in, you know, it's not a, it's not a liberal party party room uh we you know it should be done in the right way and i, I think um you know it, the expectation of performance will determine um a lot of things but I, at this stage 12 as we say we, we're exactly 12 months out um i think uh that coaching structure needs to be given the chance to take the team through to the end of the world cup Rafi, um, it'll be here before we know it, and uh, and hopefully by that stage the the Wallabies are back on track. and uh, And I know that uh, you will enjoy being there. I would imagine just as you did in in twenty fifteen in England. Um, thanks very much for your, for your time on the Fox Rugby podcast. Thanks, guys. Yes, always love catching up with that man, Joe Roth. But just in terms of um, the the coaching of the Wallabies, and and my thoughts are. Are well known. I've I've said that I don't think there's anything uh, right now to be gained by uh, a change in in head coach. But at the same time, I think it would be remiss of Rugby Australia not to be working through scenarios and having contingency plans, even if they don't plan to move on Michael Checker. Who's to say that you know they don't know that Check's going to say you know I've, I've had enough or I don't think I'm the guy or you know as as uh, a management team, you must have a contingency plan in place. Those conversations must have happened. 
hundred percent, and they and they will be happening. I think continuously. Anyone with any forward planning would know that that's. It's volatile at the moment, isn't it? So anything could happen in the next few weeks, I agree. I, I think, though, like I know that Joe was, was talking about keeping uh, we're only a year out, but the reality is Michael Checker came into the job just less than a year out from a World Cup and, and did a remarkable job to see the Wallabies reach the final, albeit we scraped over the line against Scotland in the quarterfinal. But they're, they're, you have to ask questions about... Um, is the message still coming through when you've got three coaches that have been there throughout the Super Rugby systems coming in and then into the Wallabies, double-dipping coaching at the same time, international and is Super the, Rugby? Is the message getting through, A, and B, is it the, the right, players responding is it the right, to the message? Yeah, and is it is it the right message? Mm. Is the coaches actually doing what they need to be doing? Uh, uh, we're, we're probably not in the position to answer those questions, but you, you have to think that on the current evidence of how the Wallabies are going, having won two matches in their last nine tests, it's simply not enough. If they don't win in South Africa in a week or in, in Salta in Argentina... Two really tough tests, man. Two tough tests. What, tough. It could be two from 11. I don't know how you could possibly really continue without making some changes, whether it be the assistants or the head coach. Mm. Well, we'll, we'll Eddie Jones lost eight in a row, and I think before he even boarded the flight back from the UK, he knew he was walking into his uh, mm. his death sentence. So, yeah, look, we lose those two test matches. Uh, my my thoughts is, is they're going to be left with no option. Mm. That's a great segue, by the way, because Eddie Jones has just picked up uh, a new defence coach in in John Mitchell. Oh. This could this could be oh. interesting. <laughs> Oh, couldn't not, it work? Not thinking of making a comeback, are you? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> what has happened to the world when Eddie Jones and John Mitchell are coaching under the same... It, it's quite oh, remarkable. Someone how, else uh, might have to start with this it, one. I just cannot believe it. It is remarkable how it's turned out with the, the Blue Bulls have been paid, I think, $400,000 or so for the release of, of Mitchell, who was... Uh, Employed for another year, did an okay job in his first season at the Bulls in Pretoria, but he's he's come in because Paul Gustard's left, departed to be the head coach of Harlequins, where James Hall was at. So in comes Mitchell, who ironically in two thousand and three was the All Blacks coach when Eddie Jones and the Wallabies beat the All Blacks in in, in the, the semi final. That's right. So we've come a full circle. <laughs> yes, we have. Coached against each other in, in Super Rugby. John Mitchell, obviously the coach of the Western Force from 2000. And hold on, let me just think when we overthrew him. Uh, 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 so, 06 till about 08. I don't know. If we weren't winning much around there, so it doesn't really matter. But Jones obviously had a little stint with Queensland. Look, they've all coached just about every single club and nation under the sun. Um, both interesting people. Um, I've got to give John Mitchell the slight win over Eddie Jones because it's not many coaches I don't like uh, less than Eddie Jones. But I just I struggle to understand how two personalities that are so strong, like an Eddie Jones and a John Mitchell, are gonna work together. Well, that that's been the big thing is because Eddie Jones hasn't had a coach who's been prepared to push push back a little bit. And but he likes that. He sets his coaching up in every team he's ever coached in like that. Exactly. So he doesn't have the push Which is back, why so. it will be interesting to see how, yeah. how this works. Two alphas, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and let's not forget as well, England under a lot of pressure 
at the moment. Uh, you know, from the glory days when Eddie Jones first started there and he had the public support. No, 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 it's not like that anymore. There is a lot of public pressure. You're bringing in a guy as well whose reputation preceded him. A quick John Mitchell story. I, I was sitting uh, at, at Sale in 2012 and uh, Steve Diamond, who's the director of rugby there, said, oh, I've got this new guy coming in. He's going to take over as head coach. And uh, in walks John Mitchell. Well, he only lasted two months and then he just left unannounced and went back because he said he missed his girlfriend. So, like, there's a lot of of things that have happened in his life and you're bringing that into an environment that's already under a lot of pressure. Now, nothing against either of the guys, but that's it just feels like you're throwing kerosene on a, on a fire at the moment, doesn't it? Well, to me, anyway. And there is so much expectation that goes along with, with that setup, and, you know, they mm. want success. They do. And, and we're talking about the pressure on us 12 months out from a, a, a World Cup. Mm. They got knocked out in the pools in the last one. How much pressure is the English public going to be putting on that team yep. to be successful? Yeah, so, and, right. and he would have got a, a great contract when he re-signed uh, not that long ago, just before the, uh, the turn of the year. Gentlemen, let's leave it there. <sighs> Got through a bit, and there's probably still a bit that we didn't get through, <laughs> but uh, we're out of time for, uh, for this week anyway on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Shep, great to have you on board. And, My pleasure. Uh, Christy, we'll see you next week. See you then.